This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. psalm for Transfiguration Sunday is Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The word of the Lord. There are several versions of the game. Here are the rules for the classic version. Number one, you've got to get up to the top of the hill in order to be king. And if you're on top, you are. Number two, if you want to be king, you have to climb up that hill and push the other person off. Number three, The one who is on top at the end is the king of the hill and wins. That's it. Not much to it. Who invented that game? When did it start? I have no clue. If I had to guess, I'd probably think Cain and Abel. But I don't have a Bible passage to prove that. King of the hill is a game that is nowadays likely banned from playgrounds, too violent, too easily gets out of hand, and when you think of it, it should probably be renamed King or Queen of the Hill. You might be wondering right about now, what has that got to do with me? I've never played King of the Hill, and if I had kids, I'd never let them play it. Or if your mind has wandered from personal sentiment to the present situation, you might be wondering, what has that got to do with worship today? What has that got to do with the transfiguration of our Lord? The answer to those questions is everything. It is the main takeaway 
from the gospel account today, the other two readings, the hymns, the prayers, and, drum roll, the psalm of the day, Psalm 2, driving us to wide-eyed awe. Look who's king of the hill. It's hard to imagine anybody taking pot shots at a baby. But that's what happened two millennia ago to a baby whose first crib was an animal feed box. To be sure, Mary Joseph the shepherds and star-spotting scientists many months later after the birth of Jesus who came from a distant land all recognized and knew who he was. God cloaked in human flesh. And we join him in singing, I love you, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay by my side until morning is nigh. It's just hard to imagine anyone being angry at that baby. But there has always been opposition to the Lord's anointed one. There has always been opponents. There have always been opponents to the Christ. The psalmist says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. If I asked, who ever opposed this baby? Even a six-year-old in kids' club could say, Well, I know. King Herod did. Herod heard of a possible rival being born, so he sent his soldiers to murder all the little ones of that village. And how about the teachers in the temple courts who heard the 12-year-old Jesus teaching them as we have in this north window? Do you think any of them were jealous? And how about the religious leaders during Jesus' ministry who plotted to rid their land and their temple of his teaching and him? How about the high priest Caiaphas? It is better for you that one die for the people than that the whole nation perish. How about Pontius Pilate, who could not and would not accept that this beaten up, humble, seemingly harmless, traveling preacher standing in front of him was a king? How about the mob on Good Friday? hollering, crucify him! How about the Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, and Greek armies who fought each other to the death but had one thing in common, persecuting God's people. Roman emperors tried to crush Christianity. The papacy suppressed the truth. Communist governments have worked to destroy Christian churches in their lands. Bible critics fight each other like cats and dogs over their opinions about the Bible, but they all agree that the Bible is not, in their mind, God's holy, pure word. Evolutionists evince their theories about human origins and fossils and disagree on their own opinions, but on this they do agree. In their mind, the creation account of Scripture is a myth. Religious systems with charm the credit card out of your wallet leaders 
offer a smorgasbord of different platters on how you can dip in and try to earn your salvation, but they all also agree that connection to God happening by God's doing alone is foolishness. The feelings trump biological facts, folks, demonstrate a despising of God's right and wrong and push life patterns that defy God's design. The psalmist, writer of Psalm 2, gives us a wiretap in on their conversations about the triune God. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters, but I do too. Whenever I doubt God's promises, when I hunt happiness down blind alleys of my own choosing, when I plan to get out from under the pressure of guilt on my own, when I think, well, my sins really aren't that bad, when I have attitudes and actions like that, I am fleeing with the disciples from Calvary's Hill on Good Friday. I am joining them in saying, he's a king? How can he protect and defend us? He's dying. How can he be king of a hill, especially this hill where he's dying? But by my sinful attitudes and actions, which are opposed to what God wants, I'm also joining the, the mockers around the cross. We said, hey, Jesus, you got that sign over your head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You're a king? You might be on a hill, but you're bleeding out. The Savior sighs, and he says to first-century disciples and to 21st-century disciples, I will complete my task, this most important task so that the frailty and futility of your efforts to save yourself from the flames of Hades will end. I told my disciples, my first disciples, more than once that I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to climb up the main hill of that city, up the Temple Hill, not to push Herod, Caiaphas, and Pilate off, but to go down to hell. And I'm going to do that because if I don't, you will fall into the same trap that Satan dangled in front of your first parents. Hey, go ahead and try to climb the hill of heaven. You could push God off his throne. That's arrogance. In fact, when you think about it, that's what all sin is. Sin is arrogance against God. Push him off his throne. And for that, Jesus says, you would have to pay. But you're not going to. I'm going to pay. And I can make the full payment because of who I am. You want proof who I am? Remember that account, dear 21st century Christians, when Peter, James, and John joined me in climbing up a hill, the hill of transfiguration? And you remember that account when Moses, Elijah appeared and were talking with me? What do you think they were talking to me about? It's not recorded in Scripture, but what do you think they were saying to me? Moses and Elijah were saying to me, you've got this. You can do it. You are the one. You will descend this hill of transfiguration, and you will eventually go up another hill. And you can do it. You can make the payment. You are on track. You've got this. You are God. 
And dear people, do you hear the echoes from Psalm 2, thousand years before the transfiguration event, echoing in the Father's booming transfiguration voice, you are my son. Yes, six months after the transfiguration, Peter and James did run away from that hill of the cross. John stayed there and watched what was happening, standing next to Jesus' mother. But a couple days later, they could be together and they could ask, Dying? He is king? And they knew the answer now. Yes. Look who's king of the hill of the cross. The same one who is king of the hill of transfiguration. Dying? Yes. But the transfiguration beams out. Here is your God. He can do it. He's the only one because he's God. It might seem that we would never be the ones who would try to push God off his throne or try to take God's place and make our own decisions instead of him, but what happens? What happens when the Lord allows your health to flitter away or when you're on the losing end of a relationship turned sour or when you're sitting in front of your computer screen or laptop screen with your online bank account open and you've got vacation coming up but also the electronic fund transfer for offerings to grace. In those instances, too often, we fall into our natural reaction, hey, I know what I'm doing here and Lord, you know, you've done pretty much to goof up my life. I'm going to make the decisions around here. And then what? And then we are falling. Our natural reaction is to do just that. You know how rulers handed rebels in centuries gone by? Powerful rulers, how they handed rebels? Conspirators lost their craniums. There is no more powerful ruler than the Lord God Almighty himself. He knows all those who oppose him and who have. And he knows when to end their shenanigans. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. It may look like the forces of evil all around the globe are winning, but they are not. God the Father speaks to God the Son in this psalm. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's got to mean something, dear people of God. That means that that king, has overcome all opposition, even ours, even our misplaced priorities. And in the end, who wins? Herod, Caiaphas, Pilate, Muhammad, Stalin, Hezbollah, King Jong-un, you, me? The transfiguration event answers the question, can he, Jesus, do it? He looks so frail in the manger. He looks so young as a 12-year-old in the temple courts. He looks so vulnerable sleeping in the boat after an exhausting day. He looks so beaten in front of Pontius Pilate. He looks so bloody on the cross. Can he do it? Transfiguration says, yes! Look who's the king of the hill. It's our mighty Jesus. It's interesting that 
there are all kinds of earthly rulers and kings who are actually mentioned in the Bible. Of course, the kings of Israel, like David and Solomon, there's plenty of others. Nebuchadnezzar, Caesar Augustus, Tiberius Caesar. Very powerful earthly rulers. Solomon pushed the borders of Israel all the way down to Egypt in the south up to the Euphrates River in the north. Caesar Augustus had his legions sweep all the way around the Mediterranean world, the Middle East, North Africa, through France, and across the English Channel, for crying out loud. But all of those rulers had territory that was limited. Solomon could not guarantee the prediction, the protection of and safety of an Israelite who traveled 30 miles east of the Jordan River. Caesar Augustus lost legions of soldiers in the Black Forest of Germany. Julius Caesar before him had tried. All of their power was limited. And on top of that, they all died. Not one of those ruled for more than 40 years. The clock is ticking on every human being who lives on this earth, including every ruler. But in this psalm, God the Father is speaking to God the Son. Today I have begotten you. Today, the eternal today, the ever-present, the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, of love and respect goes on time without end. And then the Father adds, Ask me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will smash them to pieces like pottery. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. That's got to mean something, dear people of God. It means there is an answer to questions like, will my schoolmates still want to be friends with me after I say no to their naughty party plans? Will I get my schoolwork done, not just on time, but well enough to get the degree and the job that I want? Will I find a soulmate? Will my kids be able to withstand temptation? Will cancer call my name? Will God forgive me when I fall into that sin that I promised myself I would never do again? There is an answer to that. There is no high mountain, no dark valley, no busy street, no kitchen, no desk, where the Lord Jesus, the transfigured Lord, is not ruling with his mighty power. There is no week, no day, no hour, no minute, no second, where he is not wrapping you up in the God-stitched comforter of his pardon. Can he do it? Transfiguration answers the question, can he do it? He looks so, he looks so frail in the manger. He looks so young as a 12-year-old in the temple courts. He looks so vulnerable in a boat sleeping after being so exhausted a long day. He looks so beaten standing in front of Pontius Pilate. He looks so bloody on the cross. Can he do it? The transfiguration answer is yes. Look who's king of the hill. It's our merciful Jesus. The transfiguration of our Lord transports us to a hill as Lent is about to begin this coming Wednesday. And from that hill, the hill of transfiguration, we can peek at another peak, the hill of the cross, at the end of the Lenten season.
That's got to mean something, dear people of God. It means that you and I can bask in the brilliance of the king, swelling with awe and wonder, joy and praise. Who's the king of the hill? Both hills, Transfiguration and Calvary. It's our mighty and merciful Jesus. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.